Today is September 20th, 2020, the last day of summer. And this is Sam Walking in the World, episode 23, How I Have Missed You. It's amazing how long a week can be. Um, I do wish I could do this uh, podcast more often, but I just can't. I can't do it in the way that I, I want to with such quality. Um, but I have missed you. I've, uh, some of my listeners I know, and I have pictured their faces as I was thinking about things that I wanted to talk about. And again, I made myself laugh. So I know this stuff is going to be pretty good at least. Um, my boy Milky is here with me as always. And uh, let me get right to what's coming up in the episode. There is so much. Okay. Uh, I have some stupid stuff. I'm going to talk about, uh, a couple things that happened to me that were quite funny, uh, at least in my opinion. And I shared some of it with my students. Uh, I bounced a lot of things off them, and uh, I think they thought it was funny too. And quick shout out to Paige. I know you're listening. Um, then in lifey stuff, I have a couple things about texting. Um, I have something about my motorcycle, my Harley Davidson motorcycle, which I'm very close to owning outright now. And uh, I'm going to talk about how in the news I read that divorce rates are surging among the pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic, causing, I guess, people to have some marital problems. In language stuff, I'm going to talk about the expression carrying water. We hear it a lot in politics. I've been carrying water for him. So-and-so's carrying water for that politician. I I looked into uh, the origins of it. I'm going to share that with you. It's kind of interesting. And then in larger things, I'm going to talk about Antifa. I've been waiting a while to talk about this, and it's been weighing on my mind. And uh, I, I, like I said, I don't want this show to be political, but I have a feeling it's impossible to talk about things that are going on. Um, but I, I don't, I don't intend to talk about political candidates who I favor, who I don't favor. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I may talk about things that bear on the election coming up because it is such an important thing. But uh, again, I'm not going to, this is not going to be a left-wing or a right-wing show. But I will talk about Antifa and some things about it that I just completely don't understand. I'm bewildered by Antifa. Doesn't seem to make sense to me. So let me get right into my stupid stuff. Uh, let me tell you something that happened to me the other morning uh, on my way to school. Uh, now, I I swim in the morning before school, uh, my three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I think it was on Wednesday. Um, I, I usually pack my bag my, of my school clothes, um, and then I, I shower after I swim and I change into my school clothes. But I pack a bunch of other stuff in my bag, too, that I know I'm going to need. Like, I usually pack a drink. Now, my favorite drink is Diet Mountain Dew. I know it's not good for me. You don't have to chastise me. I also drink a lot of water. But um, I guess it's my preferred form of caffeine. And I like the taste. And I guess I like the color. Um, It looks kind of futuristic. It's like neon green if you ever pour it into a glass. Anyway, uh, I took a Mountain Dew. After I had finished packing my bag, and I I uh, tossed it into the bag, and apparently it hit something metal, maybe something sharp, and I heard, <laughs> I thought, oh, my God. This is before I had put my, my clothes in it, so I, I was like, you know, I noticed it because I was dripping. I, I saw something dripping 
out of the bag as I was holding it. And I was like, what is that? And uh, I heard the sound and I thought, oh man. By the time I looked into the bag, there was a, a, a at least like a half inch to an inch pool of Mountain Dew gathered in the bottom of the bag. So I took a towel and I stuck it in the bag. I took what I had already put in the bag out to absorb this little pool of Mountain Dew. And I did a couple other things. And when I came back, it was it was fairly sopped up. So I put a little bag, like a, I, I, I lined the floor of the bag with um, a plastic bag. And I put my, my laptop and other things into um, an old DoorDash bag that my stepson had been using because he was DoorDashing and it's, uh, it's waterproof. So I, I put gently put another Diet Mountain Dew in. And again, I heard... I noticed this one immediately, and I grabbed it quick, and I threw it into the yard in haste. And I, I had to take a blanket this time and stuff it into the bag because I just didn't have time to wait. So I, I stuffed it into the bag, knowing that it would sop it all up. And then I just packed all the rest of my crap in the bag, and I decided to head off because I wasn't going to put another one in and, and have it happen for a third time. The odds are it wouldn't, but I wasn't going to take the chance. And I thought to myself... It's a good thing I like to drink diet soda because whenever you spill diet soda or say you have your empty cans and you're throwing them into a recycling bin or can or whatever, that's going to remain in your house for a little while or in your garage. There's no sugar. So really when it dries up, essentially, it's just kind of like water drying up. I mean, if you unless you have something that gets stained by the color, that's different. Uh, but this is all black. Everything I was dealing with was black. So it was like, there's not going to be a stain, and there's not any sugar residue, so it's not going to be sticky. It's not going to draw ants. It doesn't even smell. And I thought, I guess that is one of the blessings of drinking Diet Mountain Dew, if something like that happens. Because if something like that happened, then it was a, a, a regular Gatorade or um, a regular Coca-Cola, it would be the stickiest. I, I might have to throw the bag away. But as I am now, I guess, in the state of mind where I'm more able to let, kind of let things go, um, I just I didn't let it bother me. I started laughing about it. I shared it with my class. And they laughed about it. And afterwards, I was like, you know, maybe it was a good thing that that happened. Not that I would ever have, you know, design it to happen. But anyway, as I promised, that was stupid. Here's another thing that happened to me. I let my driver's license expire. I let my driver's license expire. So I guess this is one of those things that slips through the cracks when you let things go. In order to not be obsessive compulsive, I have to be in this frame of mind where I just I try to let worries go. Apparently one of the worries I let go was a necessary one, and that was to go and renew my license. Now I knew I needed it because I still have one of those old school licenses. You know what I mean if you still have one or if you've recently had one. And the picture is like 20 years ago. And um, and it wasn't even really a particularly good picture, but just I didn't want to go and redo the photo at the DMV. And then COVID hit, and I couldn't do it. Um, but by the time my license, I, I got into September, my birthday was September 10th, I had time to go do it, and I just didn't. 
I started thinking about like my birthday itself and I was back at school and just completely slipped my mind. So the other company that I work for where I, I, um, I assist mentally challenged people in the community. I take them out and get them into the community. It's a very rewarding job. I love this job. And I, in fact, the, the mentally challenged people that I, I help are former students of mine in an unnamed city school district. And their families are, I'm great friends with their family and it's a job that I love. But it requires me to drive them in my car and I have to have an updated license in order to do that. So apparently the DMV got in contact with this company and this company called me and said, your license is expired. And I was humiliated. But not really. And I thought, I, I have a good reputation with my manager now because I've done a good job. And um, he said, just go go get it done as soon as you can. So I work very close to where the DMV office is. And so I went over there one afternoon and I filled out the paperwork. They have like a drop box where you fill the forms out. And the man comes outside and gives you the forms. And you put them in a manila envelope and then you submit them. And, and in a little while you get whatever you need in the mail. Or you can go pick it up. So I filled out all the forms and I turned it in. And we know with a little check, whatever it costs. And uh, and later on, I got a phone call that said, uh, you haven't renewed your eye exam. Uh, I also had the benefit, another one of the unintended positive outcomes of COVID is that all state licenses um, are were extended, all, all including driver's license. So there really is no expiration during COVID until further notice. So it was going to be about October 1st, I think. They said you would have to have everything renewed, but they extended it indefinitely. Um, and uh, by the way, I, I learned indefinitely doesn't mean forever. Indefinitely. Definitely means forever. Indefinitely means to a point yet to be designated. <clears throat> so uh, I, my license is not expired. So I don't have any problem with that. So I filled the paperwork out and it will be done in a matter of time inside this window, I'm sure, where I won't, um, I won't be penalized in any way. But I had to redo my eye exam. And so um, you can't do it at the DMV because you're not allowed to go inside. So you have to go to a pharmacy, like a, a kitty drugs is where I happen to go. This is where the story gets interesting. I have glasses. My eyes are not not terribly bad, but I have glasses. I notice it when I watch television. The faces are crisper. I can read the Chiron at the bottom clearer, but ordinarily I don't wear them because I don't really need them. The difference is not significant enough. But apparently it is significant enough when it comes to reading the eye chart at the, at the uh, pharmacy. I left my glasses glasses at home. I have little reading glasses, but they're only good to about two feet away. <clears throat> and I, I have a pair of those that fold up, and I have a pair of little Foster Grants that are pretty cool. They fold up and extend, and they go in this tiny little pouch that I keep in my car in case I have to read something in fine print. They don't do any good outside of two feet, let alone whatever the 10 feet is or 20 feet that you have to stand away from the eye chart. So I went in, and I paid for the eye exam. I kidney drugs and the woman came out with the chart and she stood 20 feet away from me and I realized immediately that the sixth line is the one that you have to read. 
and I realized immediately I'm, I, I can't tell a G from a C. I can't tell an R from a P. And I thought, oh, man, an O from a D. <coughs> so I thought, I'm, I'm screwed here. And so at first I started guessing. I, you know, I, I, was, I would be like, you know, G, I think, uh, P, maybe, could also be an R. And then the lady in charge of the pharmacy who was behind the pharmacy wall inside, but like five feet away, could hear it all. And she's like, sir, I'm sorry. We have to fail you on this exam. You're, you can't be guessing. We don't, you don't get two chances. Or, And I said, well, you know what? Maybe I really do need my glasses, so I'm going to go get them. Now, I didn't want to go all the way home to get them because it would. I had gone during a free period at school because it's so close. And... Um, if I had to go all the way to my house, I would never be able to make it back in time. And then I would have to do it after school. And I leave my dog in the house alone from about noon when somebody lets her out to about whenever I get home. And I like to get home by about 3 o'clock because that's the, you know, that's the time of day where she's waiting for us to get home. And she and I think about it, you know, leaving her alone and I want to get right home. So that's usually the first thing I like to do when I leave work, and I wouldn't have been able to do that. I would have had to go straight to my other job, and God knows how long I would have had to leave the dog home because my wife takes a while to get home. Um, you know, she tells herself that she's going to get home at, you know, 4 o'clock, but you never know. Sometimes she can be distracted at school, elementary school. You know how it is. So I thought, what am I going to do? I want to get this done now. So... Please don't tell anybody about this. I want to keep this a secret. Um, I went out to the car and I got my reading glasses. And I pretended that they were my real glasses. And I went, and while I was in the car, I, I Googled the uh, eye chart. And I memorized the lines, line six. And I was going to put my glasses on and go back in and act like they were my glasses. And... Um, and read the memorized letters. And just as I was about to get out of the car, I felt, you know, because I felt like what I was doing was kind of fishy. And I thought they might think it was kind of fishy. So I also memorized the seventh line, thinking maybe they're going to ask me some of those in case I had gone and memorized the sixth line, which I guess some people probably do. I'm sure plenty of people do. So I'm sure that they, they're, they're aware and attuned to any trick somebody might try to pull, which I was. So I memorized the seventh line. I used like, you know, mnemonic devices where I memorize a sentence like, you know, I, I won't tell you the sentence because it doesn't make any sense, but it, it stuck in my head long enough for me to go in. And I said, okay, I'm ready. And I had my little tiny glasses on. I'm actually looking over the glasses. I'm not even looking through the glasses, but the woman was apparently far enough away that she didn't notice that. Maybe she needs glasses. And I... I, I acted like I was struggling a little bit to read line six, but really I was just saying the letters out of memory. And I got done with them, and she was like, okay, now I also need you to read at least some of line seven. And I thought to myself, man, I don't know if, if, if God intervenes in my life sometimes to give me ideas, but I acted like I was struggling a little bit more, and I read the seventh line. I got about halfway through, and she said, okay, okay, you pass, you pass. And I quickly took my glasses off and put them in my pocket because I didn't want her to see if they were just reading glasses because I thought maybe the jig would be up. But anyway, I passed. Now I, and I was able to go immediately home after school to get my dog. Except what happened was, I think this is God again. 
uh, I didn't get to go straight home because I got a call from a, a good friend who is less fortunate and he doesn't have a car right now. And he needed a ride from his parents' house where he was taking care of his mother who has Alzheimer's. His father usually does it, but he had, he had an appointment himself at the doctor. And so he was there watching his, his mother, you know, tending to her. And he needed a ride back to his own house so that he could go to work. And so um, that time ended up being filled with me giving them a ride anyway. I still was able to get back home by about 3.30 or so, so the dog was okay. She didn't poop in the house or anything, which even if she does, she poops in the same spot. It's very easy to clean up, and I try not to make her feel bad about it because it's kind of our fault. Boy, am I rambling. But um, it's just funny how things happen. And uh, I, I told my students about it in the last block when I got back to school, and and. Uh, I was like, so so. do you think I'm a sinner? And half the class immediately said, yes. And then uh, and then I kind of explained a little bit more. And they're like, well. And then there was some moral ambiguity there. I would have passed it if I had my actual glasses. But, but I was dishonest. For that, I apologize. But I have my license in the process of being renewed right now at the DMV. So that is stupid, like I said. Uh, but I wanted to get that out. I will take a quick break. When I get back, I'll talk about some lifey stuff, about texting, about my motorcycle, and about divorce rates. And with that, I will be right back. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 23. Thanks always to my boy Milky for his contribution, which is invaluable. I'm going to now get on to lifey things. Uh, first, um, uh, about texting. I think I might have mentioned this before, but I want to reiterate it. In this world of immediate communication, you can literally, if they're willing to answer or respond or, or read your text, you're literally able to send a message to anybody in the world at any time. Now, that also means the people in your life. Like, my wife can tell me something that happened to her in the middle of her day by sending me a text message. Like recently she sent me a text message that the dog ate her breakfast. Now I've been feeding Sadie on the side because I love her and I look in her brown eyes and I can't not give her a piece of my bacon. Um, but she's been gaining a little bit of weight. Um, she's still as athletic as I'll get out, but I don't want to have a fat dog. So I kind of tailored I, I kind of tailored that back. Taylor's the right word. But I scaled that back a little bit. And I, um, you know, she gets hungry now. And when she's hungry, she goes and eats her dog food, which is a good thing. But my wife, we were waiting to see if she would do that or if she would just keep waiting for table food. But apparently she ate her breakfast on a day when I was not in the house. And my wife immediately texted me that. Now, that's not a big deal. And I don't mind. It's not annoying. And I was glad to get the message. The problem is when we text each other, as soon as things happen, we don't really have anything to say to each other when we finally come face to face. It used to be, honey, I'm home. Tell me about your day. Now it's, honey, I'm home. I know everything that happened to you every minute of the day. So there's really no need for us to share anything right now. You know, and I, I kind of feel like my, my, my new philosophy is kind of like, um, don't text me, please. 
save something for my face. Because I want to be interested in something when I get home that I, I, I wondered about during the day. We don't wonder anymore. We know immediately. So this is a little piece of advice. I'm going to practice it myself. I'm going to ask those in my life to practice it. Don't text me. Save something for my face. Okay, that's that. Uh, another lifey thing is I received my my loan payment from my Harley Davidson XG500 motorcycle, which is sweet. Um, and the latest bill came, and it said what I re what what I owe remaining on my loan is twenty cents. So. Apparently, I do have to make one more payment. I have it extracted from my checking account automatically, which I recommend doing. You don't have to write checks. It's just much, much easier. It's worth the task of signing up for the immediate payment or whatever. Um, if you're not worried about overdrawing your checking account, which we're not, uh, it just makes life a lot easier. And so it's been being withdrawn and withdrawn and withdrawn, and now it's down to 20 cents. And it got me thinking. I got a very proud feeling. I'm like, you know, I... I was steady enough over the last two years that I was able to make these payments without even thinking about them. And now I own my motor. Well, I don't quite own it, but if I could just flip them 20 cents right now, I would own my motorcycle. And it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to have borrowed and paid back and then have something substantial to show for it. I immediately thought of it as an asset. I could sell it if I wanted. It's in mint condition. It only has 700 miles on it, but I love it. So I'm going to keep it. In fact, I'm getting close to having to put it back in the basement. I can uh, I can wheel it through my sliding glass door of the man cave and put it on the laundry side of the basement, which is where it sits. I start it maybe once a month. Um, I put a fan in there for the exhaust, but it's it doesn't really matter. All you got to do is run it for 15 minutes, and it recharges the battery. <clears throat> or keeps it charged. But anyway, it's mine. And uh, I, I must have thought of my dad. I thought like, wow, dad, you should be proud of yourself because you raised a son who can pay off loans. And it seems like a small thing, but it's not. It's like I was talking about earlier, how, how wealth is passed on, but so are values. And those values assist in your ability to accrue and, and hold on to wealth. Even something small like a motorcycle. And so pretty soon I'm going to get the the uh, title in the mail and uh, I'll have that to show that I own my motorcycle. I know it sounds like a stupid thing, but to me it's not. And I think to most people who end up paying something off and then owning it, it is not. So thank you, Dad, for instilling me with these values. Thank you, Harley Davidson, for creating such a sweet bike. All right, moving on. Uh, I noticed in the news that uh, divorce rates have surged um, amid the pandem pandemic. And it got me thinking. My, my relationship with my wife has been excellent. It has not. In fact, I, I think it's just continued to grow at, at its normal rate throughout the pandemic. And... It got me thinking of how the changes a person goes through from there. You might hear my wife. She's upstairs. She just arrived. She's giving the dog some attention. Um, I'm, I'm doing my podcast on. That's okay, though. I'm going to leave your facility here. My dad 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're kind of part of it right now. That's okay, though. Okay, you can ask me a question as soon as I take a break. I'll be taking a break right after this segment where I'm talking about divorce rates surging amid the pandemic and how our relationship is still good. So, anyway, there's a pretty good example right there. But it got me thinking about how I, what used to drive me in relationships, and it was mostly attraction, like physical attraction. Uh, I, I would, I would want to hook up with somebody hot, for lack of a better way of saying it. And I, I think that, it, it, first of all, it was a great feeling. It's a rush to be attracted to somebody and then discover they're attracted to you and the physical intimacy that goes along with it. And, um, and, and at the, at a young age, you know, you go from one girlfriend to another. If you're a girl, you go from one boyfriend to another, and and you get to experience that initial attraction again, and and a lot of it is physical, even if you're not touching each other. It's that you're attracted to them. And I I realize this: there is there is an inverse relationship between my understanding of what love really is and my need for for that physical attraction, for that physical intimacy. It's still important. Don't get me wrong, and we have it, but but it that isn't love. Not people say that's lost. It's not even lost. It's natural and good that you're physically attracted to somebody, and that you want physical intimacy. But it isn't love. It's a part of love, but it isn't really the essence of it. And um, I feel like the 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 older I get. And as my, you know, I don't know what it is, the level of testosterone affecting my my libido <clears throat> um, has kind of settled down. Um, I feel like my understanding of love has arisen. What it means to actually love a person without that physical part. I mean, with it, but not necessarily having it be such a major part. Like loving them as a person, like as an action word. Caring about them, caring about their life and their well-being. Um, that instinctive feeling of wanting to secure their future, um, to to continue to make your relationship healthy, open, honest, trusting, and um, it's just much easier to love when you're older. Because I used to think about, you know, what I used to call old people, and I'd be like, well, they they probably don't even have you know, physical relationship anymore. What is, well, they're basically just friends. And in a way they are, in a way my wife and I are, but in a, a different way. One that makes our friendship more special than my friendship with other people. And I, I just was noticing that more and more. Um, and because you don't have that libido, you're not constantly feeling any kind of urge to go find somebody new. Um, part of it's familiarity, like a nice worn-in pair of shoes, I guess. It's the most unromantic-sounding thing you could think of, but it actually is romantic. Uh, and if you're at my age and if you're in a relationship that you've been in for a while, you probably know what I'm talking about. And with that, I will take a break because my wife has to tell me something since she didn't text it to me, of which I'm proud. I will be back 
right after this break. Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 23. I'm very glad you're all here. Thank you again to Milky. He's doing a fantastic job. I wanted to just say something quick about the expression carrying water. It's used often in politics. And it began in, in China during Silk Road travel. Caravans would travel across the desert and they would be so heavily weighed down with things that they were carrying, goods, supplies, things like that, that they couldn't carry their own water. So they had other p people come along, peasants, who would be the water carriers. And so carry, carrying water for someone has come to mean doing something small but essential that allows them to achieve their purpose. Sometimes they're behind the scenes, sometimes they're small. Often in politics, someone is carrying water for someone when they do small things behind the scenes to make the larger goal easier to achieve. Um, but small things that are important, like carrying water for somebody who's traveling across the desert. That is where that came from. And you'll see how, um, as I use it moving forward, as it relates to politics. Thank you, as always, to my partner, Milky. And let me get right to my larger thing. Antifa. I'm beginning to think that Antifa are just a bunch of senseless children. I can understand an organized movement with a purpose, even if it's one that I disagree with. But I don't even understand the purpose of this. It seems like it's not... It, there is no continuity between what they say they're fighting against and what they say they represent. And I'll, I'll get more into that in a moment. But first, first the name, Antifa. Anti-fascist. Right? They're against fascism. I have to believe that is their primary purpose is to fight fascism. Now, everyone that has a television knows that they're the reason I'm bringing this up is because they're organized and they're exhibiting violence in the streets in cities of America, apparently fighting against fascism. I know they began to really increase their efforts after the George Floyd incident in which um, a police officer was kneeling on George Floyd's neck and George Floyd ended up dying. And uh, I could go more into the details of that in another time, but it ended up creating um, a backlash against police and against government, I guess, in general. Um, but I, I don't know how it got to where it is now, and I'll get more into the details of that. But first, anti-fascism. First, what it's important to know what fascism is before we start delving into how they're fighting against fascism. What is it that fascism is? Most people believe they know, and I believed I knew, and I had a pretty good idea. But I looked it up anyway. At first, oddly, I looked up Antifa. I just wanted to do a little bit of research specifically outside of what I've just been observing on the news. And uh, I, I saw there was a site, Antifa.com, and if you haven't gone to it, I recommend you do. Antifa.com takes you directly to a donate to the Joe Biden website. 
um, which is strange. But because it's, I, I don't believe that Joe Biden has claimed any association with Antifa, although at the same time, Joe Biden has not condemned Antifa by name. He said all violence is wrong, which is kind of strange because I remember when President Trump said that all violence is wrong um, regarding the the uh, neo, neo-Nazi protest or the KKK protest or whatever it was in Charlottesville. It keeps on being referred to where he said supposedly there were fine people on both sides, which I believe has been debunked. That, that was taken out of context and the video was edited in a way that made it sound like he was saying both sides, but really... He condemned the the white nationalists or whoever was there protesting. Uh, but um, Joe Biden continues to say that whenever people ask him questions about Antifa, he says that vi- all violence is wrong. Um, but he won't name them. But strangely, when you go to the Antifa.com website, you are directly connected to a donate to Joe Biden, Kamala Harris um, fundraising site. I just thought, try that, you'll see. Now, fascism, what is it? Okay, I looked it up and I, I found some salient points about what fascism has come to mean, what it meant when it was originated in, during World War II by the Italians, by uh, Benito Mussolini. Fascists, fascists believe that liberal democracy is obsolete. So even liberal democracy is obsolete. Supposedly, fascism fights against uh, is a is a far right wing organization. I mean, uh, you know, manner of governing far far right wing. Um, but it believes that liberal democracy is obsolete to forge a national unity, maintain a stable and orderly society. Fascism rejects assertions that violence is automatically negative. In other words, violence is okay in nature. It views political violence, war, as a a necessary means to achieve uh, an outcome. So that is fascism. Violence is all right. Political violence is all right. Remember, this is fascism that I'm talking about. Um... Fascists also believe in totalitarianism. It promotes the establishment of a totalitarian state. Rejects multi-party systems where different ideologies compete. May support a one-party state in order to galvanize a nation. Um, this is a quote from Robert Paxton. Uh, Paxton. He wrote uh, an article called The Anatomy of Fascism in 2004. I'll read it very quickly. Fascism redrew the frontiers between private and public, sharply diminishing what had once been untouchably private. It changed the practice of citizenship from the enjoyment of constitutional rights and duties to participation in mass ceremonies of affirmation and conformity. It reconfigured relations between the individual and the collective so that an individual had no rights outside community interest. It expanded the powers of the executive, the party, and the state. 
in a bid for total control. Finally, it unleashed aggressive emotions, hitherto he known in Europe only during war and social revolution. So it takes away constitutional rights and duties, that system, and it replaces it with a collective. So the individuals have no rights outside of the community interest. <clears throat> this is a little bit like communism. Fascism um, emphasizes direct action, supports the legitimacy, again, of, of political violence as a core part of its politics, as uh, exemplified in Europe um, in the 1940s. Um, in uh, Nazi Germany, it was the brown shirts that were out in the street uh, committing acts of violence. And in Italy, it was the fascist black shirts. So that was where it really was first engineered. So let me break this down a little bit. All of that is supposedly what fascism is. Yet I'm to believe that Antifa is against all of that. So if I look back at, at the elements of fascism, I see, I see that it says that violence, political violence, is acceptable and necessary in order to make change. Well, if you see any footage of Antifa, it appears to me that they believe that political violence is okay. I don't know um, what's, what system of government they would place in... Uh, I mean, that they would put in place of the current system of government. Um, we have constitutional rights and duties. Fascism is against that. Yet, for some reason, it appears Antifa is also attacking this system. They call it fascism, but the system they're currently attacking, that of the United States, is uh, one made up of constitutional rights and duties. They say that, it says here that fascism is against, I mean, it, it promotes mass ceremonies of affirmation and conformity. Um, I've seen multiple instances of, of Antifa protesters demanding conformity, insisting that people eating dinner outside at tables say certain things or, or hold up certain hand signs that show their their conformity to this ideology that they have. So again, I'm wondering, are they are they fascist or anti-fascist? It says that fascism unleashed aggressive emotions. Seems to me that's kind of what's going on with Antifa. Pretty sure fa is for fascism. Starting to question. Um, it looks to me like they're 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 attempting to institute some sort of totalitarianism, where violence is acceptable, conformity is demanded. Just I wonder if anyone has stopped to ask this. I don't feel like Antifa members have really ever been interviewed to be asked what their specifically what their ideology is. And now, the part about where 
where Antifa is uh, against the far right wing. Let me give you a few instances where they are currently protesting violently, and and there there are not there are no far right wing governments in sight. For example, the two hotbeds right now of Antifa um, protesting is Seattle and Portland. Well, really, Seattle, Portland, and New York City. Okay, blue state. Blue state, blue state. Let's, let's look at the cities. Jenny Durkin is the mayor of Seattle. I mean, I don't know if you could be further from being right wing than, than her policies. You could also say that about Ted Wheeler in Portland. Extreme liberal. I would say far left. Jenny Durkin, far left. Bill de Blasio, I mean, he's about as far left as you can go. I think he is actually an uh, open communist. I mean, he's about as close as you can get to it. But there's no argument that those three mayors and the governors of those states are anything close to right wing. And yet, they are the hotbeds right now of Antifa protests. So... So it doesn't appear to me that, in at least in this regard, Antifa is fighting against fascism. Unless they mean all government constructions should be destroyed, even those to the far left. So it isn't really just far right wing, it's government in general. So, it, I mean, honestly, it really makes me stop and ask the question, what do they want? Which leads me to believe that they are just a bunch of children. Like they're on some kind of emotional high and they feel significant and they're getting news footage and they're running around in their, I would say costumes. I wouldn't even call them uniforms because what they're doing is phony. As phony as somebody trick-or-treating. Again, this is in my humble opinion. So I want to take a look at this. It's not far right wing that they're against. It's not violence that they're against. Um, so apparently what they want is to completely deconstruct American society, the hierarchy of American institutions. And the main ones are, are the government institutions uh, founded on, on the principles of the Constitution, which are constitutional rights and duties. So I guess my question is, what would it look like if they had their way? Right? It seems that they want to engineer some kind of system where they're, I guess what they're fighting against is inequality. The capitalist system creates rich and poor. The political system creates powerful and not powerful. So I guess they would want, I guess, I guess, unless someone can tell me different, what they want is, I, I guess you could say, equal outcomes. Rather than all of these corrupt systems that we have in America that produce such inequity, they want something that will be able to produce equal outcomes. But in order to do that, you'll see freedom would have to be taken away. Uh, and it would have to be, society would have to be governed by an authority of some kind. It's, 
again, it starts to sound to me like it's creeping toward fascism. You know, it's, it looks a little bit like they are what they hate. So I'm, I just, for the sake of argument, I ask myself, what? how would they establish a new order? How would laws be made? I wonder. Because certainly people would have to do things a certain way in order to comply with the Antifa system. How would laws be enforced? I would imagine by force. Sort of the way they are now. I wonder how would laws be um, implemented? Would there be three co-equal branches of government? Would there? Need, I mean, you would think that a society would need to have judges or somebody that would listen to both sides of an argument and, and make some kind of decision about how, how both sides would have to go forward, who would win in a sense, who would lose. So you, I think you would need judges. Um, you need some kind of lawmaking body unless you had a dictator. Unless you just put in power by the force of the military a dictator who made all of these decisions. Again, that is literally plucked from the definition of fascism. And then I wonder, how would, the, how would these equal outcomes be realized? Without freedom, and, and with its, its good parts, which is that you have the freedom to excel, you have the freedom to achieve, you have the freedom to accrue wealth, you, and then there's the downside of it. You have the freedom to be lazy and have very little. Um, you know, as little as, as you would have if you were completely supported by the government, which, as I've said in a previous episode, is really not that little. Um, even though it doesn't count as income, it does provide for your basics. But still, there will be a separation between those who have and those who have less. I don't know if there's anyone who has not, the haves and have-nots. It's more like the haves and the have-sums. But I, it made me at all, I, I, I mixed all this around inside my the blender that is my head, and I thought of something funny. I thought of, what if there was a reality show where, I mean, this, I think this is going along with, if you were to, experiment on the Antifa, um, you know, des desires, their, uh, their motivation, their goals, I suppose, if you could call them that. I can't really even figure out what they are, but on their proposed, presumed goals, uh, ostensible goals. That's a great word, ostensible. Um, means intended to be. Uh, so anyway, the show will be called Class It Up because they're, they don't want class distinctions. And so Class It Up is a play on words where, you know, somebody would be moved from a lower class to a higher class. So I imagine a reality show whereby you created a neighborhood, a development, a gay, say a gated community with beautiful luxury homes. And you did a random selection of poor people, impoverished people, um, and did like a little lottery and say, I don't know, 30 or so families were selected 
and they were they were installed in these luxury homes plucked out of the the terrible awful environment of, of the american poor and they were placed in these luxury homes they were given annual incomes significant annual incomes they were given luxury cars their homes were furnished with all the best everything that you would find in the luxury home that that ended up as a result of the uh, unequal distribution of wealth and this you know the sins of the of the american capitalist system you would take all of that stuff that somebody had gained according to antifa wrongly gained and and you would put these 30 people these 30 families if they were families um, but these 30 households into new households in a gated community that was kind of separated from the bad section of town say and then you waited five years you just let them live for five years and then after five years is when you would film the show maybe you would do like a segment at the beginning where you showed all their homes where they where they previously lived and the squalor and just how, how terrible it was that america had made them live there as my stepson would say um and and then you would wait for five years and then you would go in with your cameras and you would shoot the episodes in the in the gated community of the families that were were transplanted i'm very curious to know what the footage would show very curious to know what the state of their existence would be at that time when they've experiment of course is to is to discover whether or not it has to do with simply having wealth or if it has to do with something about the way that you live your life, what your values are, what your habits are, uh, what your, you know, parenting is like, what your modeling of behavior is like. Um, I would be interested to see what level of violence has occurred inside the gated community. Has there been uh, an, an uptick in crime has there been theft has there been violence i'd be interested to know how many times the police were called how many domestic abuse cases there were where police had to be called to sort things out now i'm not saying that there would be necessarily more i don't know but my contention is that in many cases people are living in poor conditions because people are living poorly now, of course, it's not in all cases, and in some cases, there are there are obstacles that people encounter that interfere with their ability to be upwardly mobile. But my contention is, the American system allows for mobility for people who are who are interested in achievement, who are disciplined enough to be committed to behaviors that allow for success uh, make the likelihood of success higher and I just I wonder if it would be I bet it would be a hit I bet I bet it would really be um, illustrative of what it is that actually caused now of course there are people who are born into wealth and then and then um, 
destroy all that wealth, lose it all, drugs or gambling or or who knows what, bad business ventures. Um, but I, I, I have a feeling those are much, much fewer of the cases where somebody has wealth and then loses it all because of their habits. Usually generational wealth continues to exist. But, you know, I think what's even stronger is when when somebody that was poor um, works very hard. Yes, probably gets a little bit lucky, too, but works very hard, has an aptitude, and develops some kind of empire like car dealerships or uh, restaurants or um, maybe, maybe a home building or Something where someone was poor and they worked very hard and they became rich and they passed that wealth on to their children. I bet they also passed on a work ethic that allowed for that wealth to continue generationally. But it continued with the idea that you must continue working hard. I just wonder what would happen to the people that are moved into the class it up neighborhood um, and just see where they would be at in five years or ten years. Uh, so you'd have to wait a little while before you could air the show, but I think it would be worth it. So anyway, getting back to what I was talking about with Antifa, I just, I don't understand what they're fighting for. I don't understand what they're fighting against. They appear to not truly be fighting against fascism. Bill de Blasio is not a fascist. Unless, unless he's a fascist, a, a left-wing fascist. You know, fascism isn't always on the right. I know it began that way because of the countries and the governments that it began in, but violence, totalitarianism, conformity, dictatorship. I mean, you have Mao from China. You have Stalin. You know, it doesn't just occur on the, on the right. There are plenty of these on the left. And usually fascism comes with a smile and a, and a helping hand. Fascism wants to help you. It knows what's best for you. Better than you do. You need to allow the fascist government to take care of you. And if you don't behave for your own good, it will make you behave. It has to take away your constitutional rights in order to keep you safe. It, it can occur very readily on both sides of the political spectrum, is what I'm saying. And that Antifa is a BS organization. That, again, is my humble opinion. And with that, I have come to my end. As always, I thank you very much for listening and letting me vent. Um, I hope to see you soon. And as the show now goes, I hope to see you next week.